Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. Hearing on one on one hand, oh, you just got to let her cry it out. Put earplugs in, go sit in the basement. That's what I did. That worked for me. And on the other hand, like my crunchy mom friends just being like, oh, it's going to be fine. She's not going to be sleeping with you in college. Like, it'll be great. It's fine. You're doing great. But still, I'm suffering. I have no time for self-care. I have no time. Like, simple things, just not even self-care, self-maintenance, um, like, like taking a shower, like basic things. I've got to work around her little, you know, schedule here so that I can get, take a shower and, and wash my hair. Living a healthy, balanced life is no small feat, especially when you're a mom. With meals to cook, laundry to load, work to do, and humans to raise, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe living a healthy life has become way too complicated. What we need isn't a new plan or program telling us what to eat or how to live. We need simple, uncomplicated routines and information that's going to help us live our best, most beautiful life without rules and restrictions. Join me, Kristen Dofniak, holistic health coach, certified intuitive eating counselor, and mama of two for weekly conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life, uncomplicate eating, and simplify in every area of mom life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. Chris here, and today I am so excited about our guest episode. One of the things that you guys asked me for more episodes on were mom topics, because as moms, we are holistic humans, and balance is more than just the food we eat and the way we nourish our bodies, and even though that is my expertise and my forte and one of the things I love talking about and something that I'm going to continue to give you guys through this podcast, I also want to help and encourage you to become the best version of yourself and the best mom that you can be. And to do that, I'm going to bring in some really incredible experts on areas that I know can be stumbling blocks in becoming our healthiest, happiest selves. And one of those areas that I know a lot of moms struggle with, myself included, which I talk about in the episode with our guest today is sleeping and not just our sleep, but our babies sleeping and our kids sleeping. And when we are not getting good quality sleep and when we are struggling with our kids sleeping, it's really hard to show up as the best version of ourselves. It's hard to concentrate. It's it's hard to just do everything. And so 
Something as simple as learning how to gently teach our kids how to put themselves to sleep, how to put themselves back to sleep, can make such an incredible difference in our lives as moms. It seems so simple, but I know how impactful it can be as someone who struggled with my first daughter, getting her to sleep, getting her to nap, especially, especially it was really, really hard. And then my second daughter went to sleep, but she had trouble staying asleep. And I even share in this episode something that we are still struggling with that I cannot believe I shared to thousands of people, but I did. And so you guys get to hear like a secret of what's going on in Chris's world, um, as well as some really, really incredible advice on gentle sleep coaching from today's guest, Lydia McNair. Lydia McNair has been a certified gentle sleep coach since 2016 and the creator of the Gentle Loving Sleep online course, which launched in early 2020 and has helped over 1,000 families so far. She's passionate about helping moms who feel stuck between cry it out and waiting it out. And what she most wants to share is that if sleep isn't working for you, you have more options than just crying it out and keep waiting. In today's interview, Lydia shares what gentle sleep coaching is and how you can implement gentle sleep coaching whether your baby is six months or your kiddo is up to six years old and how creating this gentle sleep routine can help the whole family. It can help you feel more attached to your baby and your baby to you and help them and you get a better night's sleep in a way that is really gentle and loving. And I just love her method. I love her advice. She is a real mom who has been through this and she's here to help you too. So I think you're going to love this interview. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Lydia. Welcome, Lydia. I am so excited to have you on the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. I think today's episode is going to be so helpful for so many moms who feel like they are struggling in this area that we're going to talk about in just a minute because something that seems as simple as getting our babies to sleep and getting enough sleep ourselves can make such a huge difference in our lives as moms. And I truly believe that as moms, we need to be well-rounded in our wellness. And this is such an important area that I think gets overlooked. And so many moms are stressed about it when they might not need to be, which is something I am learning now, (laughs) way past this stage myself. So I would love to jump in to a little icebreaker and then have you share a little bit more about what you do. Okay. Sounds good. So I am switching up my icebreaker because I've had the same icebreaker for about a year. And so this, you're going to be my first guest with this new icebreaker. And I'm just so excited to hear the answer to this. And I'm sure everyone else will be too. So what are you reading nowadays? What is sparking your interest? I'm actually, I have, I do a lot of, um, audible, like audio books, mm. you know, um, cause I can have like my earbuds in as I'm doing the dishes and things like that. So I was listening to, what is it? Tapping into wealth. Um, yes. so I've just started it. Um, and I've just heard so many like really awesome things about it. So I'm excited to go, go deeper into it. Yes, I am nodding my head and saying yes (laughs) over here because I have actually, it is in my Amazon cart. 
right now. Uh, like that is one of those books I've heard such good things about. And I've been working a lot personally on my money mindset over the last year or so. We had a, um, a guest on in November of 2020, um, Sammy Womack, and she was talking oh, about really? financial health and she's incredible. Um, she's from the a Sunny Side Up Life podcast and a Sunny Side Up Life on Instagram. And she's just so great. And she talks a lot about money mindset. Um, and so I've been working on that a lot over the last year. So I'm going to have to go and purchase it now that you yeah. mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a sign. You need to do it. Yeah. Yes, I love it. So I already shared your bio at the very beginning, but I would love if you would just start by sharing who you are and what you are passionate about bringing to the world. Yeah. So I'm Lydia McNair, as you said, and I am a gentle sleep coach and my my passion, I could talk about it forever. So I'm going to like stop myself because I know you've got other questions. Um, I am passionate about helping moms who are struggling, whose babies aren't sleeping well or toddlers even aren't sleeping well and they don't know what to do. Um, and usually like they're stuck, like, like they feel caught between cry it out and like staying doing what they're doing. And as one of my like um, birth coach, like back when I was pregnant, one of the sayings she always used to say is if you don't know your options, you don't have any. Mm -hmm. And so I want to let people know there's options. It's not cry it out and harsh and cold or just keep doing what you're doing. That's not working for you anymore. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. Oh my gosh. I think the work you do is so important. So how did you get into it? How did you decide to become a gentle sleep coach? Other than knowing that there were more options, how did you find out that there were more options other than just that classic, like let your baby cry until they eventually fall asleep? Yeah, it was, it came from my own struggles. Um, my daughter is now seven and a half, but when she was born, she completely, I mean, just completely rocked our world. It was not, um, and I wasn't unprepared. I wasn't like a 19 year old mom. I mean, I was 29, 30, you know, like I, I had been around babies and baby fat and I was very familiar with taking care of a baby. Um, but she was, um, if you're not familiar, there's Dr. Sears has a, an article out there called the 12 features of a high needs baby. Um, Google that if you feel stuck, <laughs> if any of what I'm saying is going to resonate. Um, she was just very high needs and very intense. And it was only me. My husband couldn't help. We didn't live near family. Um, so it was just him and I, um, and he would, he would get home from work and try to hold her so I could take a shower and just have like 10 or 15 minutes um, where she wasn't like attached to me and she would scream the whole time. Um, and so it just got to be just very heavy, very intense. And it was, it was all day, all night, only mommy. Um, and so we, I say like she came out screaming and she just didn't stop unless she was with me. That's when she would stop. And so we ended up in this accidental co-sleeping situation. Um, and so like, you know, it was fine in the beginning, like here's this brand new baby. Like, of course she's a, you know, she's adjusting to world on, you know, the world on the outside and she needs mommy. It's like, it's fine. And it just never got any better. I kept waiting for like, okay, soon she's going to start sleeping soon. I'm going to be able to put her down. I'm going to be able to, you know, do some things again. And it just never happened. And so we were, it wasn't even just the, the co-sleeping, which I, I, have nothing against. And in fact, sometimes recommend it to, to moms with newborns. Um, but it was that I couldn't, I couldn't get her to sleep and then take a shower or watch a movie with my husband, because I would, I would put her down and I would literally sit at the bottom of the stairs 
like trying to have a conversation with my husband, but like listening, because I knew it was going to be 10, 15 minutes before she'd be up crying again. Maybe we'd get 30 or 45. Like that was amazing. Um, so I was just, I was spent my night running up and down the stairs, rocking and nursing back to sleep until finally I'd be like, all right, I guess I'm going to bed so that I can actually rest. Um, so as you can imagine going through this for months and months and months and months beyond infancy, um, 18 months of this and it not getting any better. And then hearing on one, on one hand, you just got to let her cry it out, put earplugs in, go sit in the basement. That's what I did. That worked for me. And on the other hand, like my crunchy mom friends just being like, oh, it's going to be fine. She's not going to be sleeping with you in college. Like, it'll be great. It's fine. You're doing great. But still I'm suffering. I have no time for self-care. I have no time, like simple things, just not even self-care, self, um, like maintenance, like taking a shower, like basic things. I've got to work around her little, you know, schedule here so that I can get, take a shower and, and wash my hair. Um, and then obviously the strain on my marriage, my husband, I always like to say like, he's, he is so supportive. He was never like, Oh, you did this. It's because you're breastfeeding. Like he was never like that. He, mm. he understood because together we tried multiple times, different things and nothing just ever stuck or worked or felt right. Mm. And so we'd always end up back where we were. Um, but even though he understood 18 months without being able to have, watch a movie and cuddle up on the couch with your wife is going to cause some strain in your marriage, you know? So, um, we did the best we could, but at 18 months I was, I was at the end and knew we just, we had to do something. I was always Googling and reading books and reading podcasts and following this person and that person. And I, I honestly had a lot of things I was doing right. Like we, you know, we had kind of, you know, we had a good consistent schedule and a consistent bedtime routine. Um, but I was missing how to help her learn to fall asleep on her own without cried out. And that's what I stumbled across when she was 18 months and it completely changed our lives. And then that just stirred a fire in me because I was like, I know there's other moms out there that are kind of quietly suffering like me, like not everybody is happy co-sleeping for three or four years. Um, and, and then what, what then all, all they hear in these, you know, natural, gentle parenting groups is you can't sleep train. You can't sleep train. You can't sleep train. But what if they're not, what if what they're doing isn't working for them? There's gotta, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I have to let people know that there is something that you can do. So, um, I went through a certify or certification process um, when my daughter was three. So it was a, it was a while after um, she was trained. And so I've been doing this now for four and a half years um, and just love it so much. Oh my gosh. I love your story so much. It's so relatable. And I'm actually over here going, wow, are our stories so parallel in those first, that first year or so. My daughter's also, she's seven um, now and that first year was very similar to your story where she would not let me put her down. And my husband and I worked together to get her to sleep at night, but we still also ended up in an accidental co-sleeping situation where I was open to it, but also very nervous about it. I was afraid I would hurt her and she would not go to sleep without me. And eventually I just found myself researching how to co-sleep safely because I, there was no other option. 
And then it was me during the day with her and my husband at work. And then he would come home and he would try. And I remember during the days, um, I was studying holistic nutrition at the time. And actually, um, I was doing a course on postnatal nutrition, on breastfeeding nutrition. And I would listen to my course in my headphones, walking through the house with her in the ergo. Because that was the only way she would nap. She wouldn't nap without me. She wouldn't sleep next to me. And I remember when I was about, when she was about six months old was when I decided to go back to work just part-time. I was still working part-time as a chef. Um, So I have nutrition and chef training and I was still working part-time as a chef. And um, my mom was watching her and my mom finally got her down to sleep at night. And honestly, I don't even know how, and I don't even want to, um, <laughs> because she was watching her at night so I could go work. And I remember just being so stressed out in those first six months going, feeling like I was, I was failing in so many ways because she just wouldn't sleep. And I was trying all of the things and co-sleeping worked, but I knew it wasn't a permanent solution. And it was, it was such a big struggle. And that was my first daughter. And and my second daughter was a little bit different. Um, She's always kind of been a better napper, but not so much a better sleeper at night. And we tried some different, more gentle things with her to get her to sleep at night. But I almost feel like it just ended up being like, well, her sister was going to sleep and eventually she just learned to go to sleep with her sister. (laughs) But they were very different sleepers in very different situations. But I know for myself personally, in both of my situations, there was so much stress in it, Mm -hmm. in just getting her to sleep. And I can so resonate with you feeling like you couldn't get any time for self-care and not even self-care, just those basic things. And I talk a lot about how important it is that we allow ourselves our basic needs, which as moms, I think sometimes we don't realize that we are sacrificing our basic needs so much. We're sacrificing. I mean, yes, there are sacrifices as a mom because that's just what mom life is, but we are going to, we're going to be better moms if we sleep, we're going to be better moms. If we eat regular meals, we're going to be better moms. If we get a shower every few days, doesn't have to be every day, but we need to be sleeping. We need to be eating. We need to be doing these basic things. And if our baby's not sleeping is preventing us from just taking care of ourselves in those really basic ways, I think it can be, it can be so hard. So all that to say, I'm so here for this. And I'm so excited to share this information with moms like that I did not have and that you have. It's such a gift. So can you just share kind of for those who are new to the world of gentle sleep coaching? I know you mentioned that it's it's different than cry it out. Right. So what is what does it mean to sleep coach? But gently, what is it? Just give me the the 401. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I, I I have so many different analogies and ways to explain this. So traditional, what, what people usually think of with sleep training is the cry it out. So true cry it out extinction is you put the baby down, you walk out, you don't go back to morning no matter what. And then next to that, you have Ferber, which is touted as the more dental option because you go in periodically and you increase your time, you know, from five minutes to 10 minutes, 15, 20, and so on. Um, and so that's how it is more gentle because you are going in to check on the baby briefly. What I do is even a step further. We stay with the baby whenever they're awake and crying, we respond to them. We always go to them because we want them to know if they need us, we will be there. We don't want them to have to wonder, well, when are you coming? Well, you came in like they can. And also with fervor, they can't tell time. They don't know that you're coming in five minutes, 10 minutes. Like that really is just an arbitrary rule. 
to give parents something to follow. It's really just a guideline for the parents. You could tell them, you know, anything. It's just a rule. Um, so we respond. The difference is when we respond, we're not doing, I'm using air quotes here, the thing that we previously did to get them back to sleep. So in my course, I teach a whole bunch of, you know, ways that you can support them and let them know that they're not alone. Um, but also we're not going to rock you back to sleep or mommy can't nurse you back to sleep any, you know, anymore. And so it's, it's that type of thing. An example I, I give, and it, it really, it, it, it's more for like a two-year-old, but he, go with me here. As far as the crying, because there is crying because we're changing things and it would really, it'd be really weird if your baby didn't have anything to say about that. Mm -hmm. So the example I like to give is imagine you've gotten into the habit of giving your two-year-old a cookie every afternoon. And then one day you decide, you know what? I don't think that's a good idea anymore. We're going to stop giving them that cookie. Um, and so they ask for the cookie and you say, no, we're not going to have the cookie today. And they are going to do what two-year-olds do. And they're going to cry and they're going to throw themselves on the floor and they're going to, you know, they're, they're upset. So they're allowed to be upset, right? You've changed the rules on them. So the three different approaches you can have, like that cry it out approach is like, sending the message that, Hey, this is, this is the rule. I don't care what you have to say about it. It doesn't matter. We're going to isolate you, punish you, put you away until you kind of just give up. Then you've got the permissive approach, which is like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, you're crying. It's been five minutes. I can't handle it. Okay, fine. Here's the cookie. Also not a good situation. Then you have this middle of the road approach that says, Hey, I know you're upset. I expect you to be upset. You really wanted that cookie but we're not, we're not going to have it anymore. And mommy's here with you and I'll be with you while you are upset until you feel better and are ready to go about your day and finish playing. So that's, I hope that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. And I can just, you know, feel just like my body sort of like tensing up with the first example where I'm like, Oh, that's so mean. Yeah, <laughs> and no. then especially cause I'm all about balance and I'm like, eh, what's a cookie every now and right. again. <laughs> But then, you know, there is the, you know, also just giving in and then going, well, that's not, you know, that's not, you know, teaching good behavior techniques or whatever. And, uh, and then that middle road just does, it feels so much more calm and peaceful and loving to our children. So I love that. I really like that example. And I think that it's so relatable (laughs) for many moms where, I mean, we know our kids, if we just take something away, they're going to be mad. If somebody took my coffee away in the morning randomly, I would be very mad. Forget it. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Oh my gosh. So talking a little bit about child development, because I am a little bit of a nerd and I love this stuff. <laughs> and I'm sure there are other moms out there who just kind of want all of the info on why this middle ground kind of works. Okay. When is it time to actually start gentle sleep coaching? Is there a time that's too early? Do you do it once when they're a newborn? Do we do it when they're like six months old? And how do you know if it's time to be able to start taking this gentle approach to sleep coaching with your child? Yeah, that's awesome question. I know lots of people ask that. So generally I say, um, not before six months, And as far as knowing when it's time or when it's okay, another thing I'd like to say is these changes and developmental periods and things, it's not a light switch. It's a process. So generally six months, occasionally there have been some babies in the five month range that parents like they're really anxious and like they really want to get started. So we take a slower 
approach and an even more gentle approach. Um, and, and really before six months, it's a lot of um, building blocks, a lot of like, you know, the things that everybody knows, or I think everybody knows, maybe they don't, you know, the schedules and the wake windows and the bedtime routine and the room darkening shades and all of those types of things, just like little cues. And then as far as putting them down awake, it's a practice for sure. It's a practice before six months where we're sometimes mom puts the baby down and they cry and they scoop on my back up. They're like, nope, nope, nope. It's not going to work. But sometimes if you try some of the techniques that I do to just try to settle them in their crib, just give it a few minutes, sometimes it'll work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I say, you know, before six months, let's just start with bedtime in the middle of the night, do whatever is easiest, whatever, bring the baby to bed, rock them, nurse them, feed them, whatever. Let's just see if the baby can do it at bedtime because that's the easiest time to learn. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't feel right or it doesn't work, well, then it's, it's not time yet. Like I said, it's practice. As far as when they're ready after six months, it's whenever, whenever mom is ready, really, mm. whenever she feels like whatever she's doing isn't sustainable anymore. Um, so a lot of times someone asked me this question, like, do you think everybody needs to sleep train by six months? And my answer is no, not, not at all, because mm. sometimes like it's so different for every family and every mom and baby relationship, you could have a nine month old and you were totally okay with getting up three times in the middle of the night to nurse them back to sleep. And there could be somebody else with a six month old whose baby's only waking up once a night. And they're like, Oh my gosh, my baby's a terrible sleeper. Like it's all relative. And so once you hit that six month mark, it really then is just about how do you feel? Do you feel your baby is ready? Do you feel ready? Um, and then it's never really too late. Um, I work with families mostly six months to two years, but there are some three-year-olds um, that, that I work with as well. Beyond that, um, I personally don't do a whole lot, but I am trained up to age six, but they, mm -hmm. I just don't see a lot of that in my practice. That's so cool that you can do it that late. I'm very thankful that my my daughters are now seven and three, and they are at this point pretty good sleepers, though. My three-year-old doesn't nap anymore. Oh, that's a sad day. <laughs> a sad day. Oh my gosh. She lasted longer than her sister. Her older sister stopped napping at two and Ugh. there was nothing we could do to get her to nap. My little one still naps if she stays at school for a full day. Normally she only does half days, but if she stays at school, all the other kids nap. So she'll nap. She'll still yes. fall asleep in the car sometimes. I mean, that's not an ideal sleeping situation at all, but she will. My <laughs> other, my oldest did not ever. So, you know, my, my kiddos are a little bit older now, but I can imagine how many years of stress that is for moms. And I know that I have mom friends whose kids don't sleep for the first four or five years. And I'm like, how are you even surviving? Yeah. So little sleep, waking up multiple times a night. And I think this is one of those things where we're caring for ourselves and we're caring for our babies or our children at the same time, just really finding the, uh, I don't even know, confidence really to be able mm -hmm. to get our babies to sleep and to say it's, it doesn't have to be like this. I think yeah. so often we just assume that like, this is just the way it is, but there mm -hmm. is something that we can do. And so I, I love that there is this other option that they can do. Mm -hmm. So kind of going off of the nerdiness and loving to hear about, okay, 
child development and around six months, but it's when you're ready. How does the actual science of sleep kind of play into this gentle sleep coaching method? Because I know you talked about wanting to put them to sleep awake so -hmm. that they learn how to put themselves to sleep, which um, is a really important skill because I know that even myself as an adult sometimes have a hard time putting (laughs) myself to sleep. Oh, me too. (laughs) So teaching teaching them how to put themselves to sleep. How does, how does that come into play and how, how do we teach them that through gentle sleep coaching? I know that you do the, the more in-depth coaching with the clients that you work with, but how does that kind of play into it? Putting yourself to sleep is a, is a learned skill. Now it's very easy to do with mom or dad rocking you or, or sucking babies love to suck. And so that helps them soothe to sleep. And that's all great. Once they hit, it really happens. It can happen anytime, but Uh, usually like around three-ish months, sometimes even earlier, um, and, and, and usually by six months, if it hasn't happened before, a mom may have a baby who previously she was nursing to sleep and was able to put down Mm -hmm. on like my experience, but was able to put down and have them sleep for three, four, five hour stretch. And like, that's great. And then they call me and they're like, oh my gosh, she turned four months and forget it. Now this kid wakes up the second, you know, her butt hits the, the crib. What's going on? What changed? I don't understand. So during, you've probably heard of the four month regression and what but it is, is like, it's, it's sleep cycles changing. It's them becoming more awake and aware of what's happening around them, of what's being done to them or for them, for them to fall asleep. So they do start to wake up when they realize they're not still in your arms and notice where they are and it's different. Um, and so if they didn't first put themselves to sleep in their sleep space, wherever that may be, then when they do wake up, they're going to need, like truly need some help to fall back asleep. So that's why we always have to start with bedtime. Um, Cause if they didn't do it first at bedtime, it's not fair for us to expect them to do it in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And bedtime, like I said, is the easiest time to learn. Um, so we start there. Some people, there are some, um, I've heard this so many times from people. So I know it's out there more than just the few times I've heard, but there's a belief out there that if you're, ba- if you just put your baby down a little bit awake, you know, rouse them, they look and see where they are. Um, and then they're putting themselves to sleep. And then, you know, that's all they, that's all you need to do. And they'll sleep all night. And that's true for like 25% of babies, the rest of them, um, they're going, not only are they going to need to be put down more awake than that, but 50% of babies at least need help to learn how to put themselves back to sleep. So it's who mm-hmm. sleep at the start and back to sleep because everybody has partial arousal. So when we say sleep through the night, there, no one's actually sleeping through the night. We just mean that they don't need your help to get back to sleep. They wake up, look around, roll over, pull their ear or whatever it is that they like to do. And they'll fall right back asleep. And nobody, you know, is really aware of, of what's happening. I don't know if that answered your question. That's more like science. Um, but I feel like you had something else that I kind of missed. No, I I really like that because I'm thinking about this and thinking about my three-year-old and that was our biggest problem with her. It was she didn't have as much of a problem going to sleep, but it was the waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to go back to sleep. So whereas we didn't, um, we didn't, we kind of co-slept with her right next to us in the early stages when she was a newborn and then 
a few months in, we, we put her in her room or it was probably more like six months timelines. It was three years ago now, right? I know. <laughs> but it was like for like six months, we put her in the room. And I think just because we had bedtime with her sister, bedtime became fairly easy, but she would always end up in our bed in the middle of the night because she wasn't able to fall back asleep. So I would nurse her and then she would end up back in our bed. And then I would have this awful night of sleep because then of course I'm like, you know, waking up constantly to the baby. She did this awesome thing where she nursed like the entire night. (laughs) And I had a great experience nursing my babies, but it was like, okay, uh, I need a break. And yes. you can't say no to a nursing baby, right? So no. oh, yes. I having those skills to be able to teach her how to put herself back to sleep in the middle of the night would have been really, really beneficial. So no, I think that totally answers the question okay. of it being more than just, and just uh, how many, there's going to be so many people out there who are like, what do you mean we don't sleep through the night? And this is something <laughs> I probably only learned a few years ago. And you think that when you fall asleep, I knew we hear about the different stages of sleep, but in between those different stages of sleep, we have those little bits of arousal where we wake up a little bit, but we just know how to put ourselves back to sleep as an adult, but it's not necessarily true for babies who are new to the world or young children who are still fairly new to the world and new to sleep. And they weren't, you know, constantly rocked to sleep in their mom's belly. (laughs) And so they do need to learn that skill. And so I'm sure there are people out there like, what do you mean? We don't sleep through the night, but we don't. And so that's really important that we can help our kids with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious if you can share maybe some of the, some of the ways that you would help a baby learn to fall asleep, fall back asleep in the Mm -hmm. middle of the night, maybe just a couple tools. So if there is a mom listening and she's like, oh my gosh, that's my struggle. Maybe bedtime is something that they're working on and they're working on gently putting their baby to sleep and going back every time so that the baby knows that they're encouraged and that you're going to be there for them. Do you do the same thing in the middle of the night? Is there anything different you do in the middle of the night? Yeah, no, that's great. That's a great question. Yes. It's the same exact thing. That's because we want to create consistency security so that they're not a lot of times parents, um, when they kind of try things on their own and I'm happy to give a couple tips, but like when they try things on their own, they're like, Oh, it didn't work. Um, and it's because there's so many things. There's so many moving parts. It's not complicated, but, um, it's a lot of information and we do whatever we do at bedtime, we have to do in the middle of the night. Consistency is always going to win the day. Mm. So sometimes they'll say, well, at bedtime, you know, I, I, you know, went through my bedtime routine, nursed the baby. They were still awake. I put them down, patted their butt to sleep and they went to sleep and it was five minutes and great. And then they woke up two hours later and dad went in and tried to pat, but it didn't work. So he got frustrated and walked out. Then I sent him back in. So then he rocked the baby, put the baby down, the baby then woke up. Then I went in an hour later and I nursed the baby. And so it's just all this different things. There's no consistency. And while it seems like to you, you're trying all these things before you end up feeding the baby um, or doing whatever your, your thing is, your main crutch. And I say, if you're going to end up doing the thing anyway, just do it because you're confusing your baby and, and everybody is losing more and more sleep until you are officially ready to like go all in, just do the thing. It's fine. No guilt. Bring the baby to your bed, rock the baby, like whatever. It's fine. Um, but as far as like tips, so again, we have to start at bedtime. If your baby's falling asleep within five minutes, even though they're awake, 
they're falling asleep within five minutes and you're seeing frequent wakings overnight. It's not just like one or two quick feedback to sleep type of things. Um, then chances are for them, it's not, they're not being put down awake enough. So one of the first things that we do is we have to look at the schedule because an overtired or an undertired baby is going to have difficulty. If mm-hmm. we're putting them down too drowsy past their ideal wake window, three things normally happen. It's either difficult um, to get them to sleep, difficult to keep them asleep, or difficult for them to sleep long enough. And then you may see early rising, this baby who's up at five o'clock in the morning and that's it. No matter what you do, they're up at five. Usually that's overtired. So we got to start there. Okay. So sometimes that's why when people are like, oh, I tried and it didn't work. It may be that the baby's over or undertired or something's off with the schedule or your bedtime routine. So tip one is we have to move the last feed to step one. Mm-hmm. Even if they're awake, when you finish nursing or finish giving that bottle, if it's the last thing for a lot of babies, not every baby, but for a lot of babies, it's the last thing they remember. And so when they wake up, they want, they want that again. So we have to move Mm -hmm. it to step one. We've got to put the baby down. Usually I say like, if you think of sleep on a scale of one to 10 with one being awake and 10 being asleep, we're looking at like a seven, like they've got to be, it's not your job to get your baby very, very drowsy. That's the wake window. That's the schedule. That's your timing. It's just your job to have a a few consistent things that you do every day or every night at bedtime that send the message to your baby that it's time, like sleep is coming. And so you don't have to rock your baby and wait till their eyes start getting heavy and then put them down because that backfires a lot of the time. They get really upset. Um, So that, so that's, that's one thing. Then as far as once you put them down where they're going to cry. So basically you can do anything to help them. We just want to do it um, not all the way to sleep. So you can pat them, you can touch them, you can shush them, you can sing to them um, until they fall asleep really um, is the quickest well-rounded tip I I can give. There's other things, you know, and and guidelines around that, but that's that's the quick version. Question, Mama. Would you love to be able to eat in a way that's balanced without counting calories, stressing about tracking your macros, or eating everything in sight, and actually be able to stick with it without following a pre-made meal plan? Yes, I know, we all want that. And I know that it can feel hard to find that balance. And that's why I've created an affordable and mom-friendly online course to teach you exactly how. It's called Balanced Eating Essentials, and it will teach you the seven essential habits to becoming a balanced eater for life in short, mobile-friendly lessons so you can learn on the go and create the habits you need to embrace balanced eating while enjoying your favorite foods along the way, because satisfaction, not restriction, is at the heart of balanced eating. Head to healthybalancedmama.com BEE to learn more and join. I cannot wait to support you in your journey to balanced eating. Oh my gosh. I am over here going, oh, we totally did that. We totally like tried to nurse to sleep. And then we're like, okay, she's asleep. We'll put her down. And then it was hard. And that makes so much sense when you think about it logically. And you're like, of course, that is what they expect when they wake up because that is where they were when they were asleep. And I mean, if I fell asleep somewhere and woke up in a different place, I would also be very confused. (laughs) Right. Yes. So I think that that's, that's so huge. I love that. And I, I love that. It feels like one of the themes that keeps coming up is kind of letting go of some of that control and really learning how to just 
teach your baby how to do these things for themselves. Cause I mean, they are tiny humans. I think sometimes as moms, we feel like we feel so nervous that we're going to ruin them or Mm -hmm. that we have to do everything for them. And we are their caretakers because they are little babies and we are their moms and that is our job. But I think it is more of that guidance, right? It, right? Rather than that trying to control them and trying to get them to sleep and then stressing out. And then, yes. then we're not showing up as a right. good mom. We're showing up as a stressed out mom. And I'm speaking yes. from my own personal experience, actually being that stressed out mom. So. I know I've been there. Yes. Oh my gosh. All of this is so, so encouraging. So something else that I would love to talk about, and you've mentioned a couple times, and I find just really fascinating is this idea of secure attachment and being securely attached to our kiddos. I know that this is one of the the themes and one of the goals of gentle sleep coaching is that our kids are still in this attachment with us where they are not feeling like we just abandoned them and let them cry it out all night, but we did help them and guide them and we still have that relationship with them. So can you talk a little bit more about kind of what having that secure attachment with our kids is and how this gentle sleep coaching can benefit both moms and babies and their relationship beyond just this get the baby to sleep, but, and beyond just the infant stage. Yeah. So attachment theory, I think sometimes gets twisted into attachment parenting. And like, I have nothing against attachment parenting whatsoever. I think there's a lot of great aspects with that. And I, I even co-slept with my second after going through my training and baby wearing and all the things. So there's nothing there. Um, But attachment theory is really just meeting, meeting the needs of your baby for, for everything, you know, they have needs to be, to be held and touched and nurtured, fed and it goes beyond feeding really. Mm. And, um, so at some point though, right. And, and maybe there's some disagreement around when that point is there starts to some wants start to come in or just like some habits, some things that, you know, so as, and so I'm using like six months. Okay. And maybe, maybe for you, you feel like it's more like nine months and that's fine. But at some point your baby is capable of putting themselves to sleep. They just don't know how yet, because we've always done it for them. And it is a very basic skill. So it's just, it's, it's this balance of, we're going to encourage you to do this, but also we don't want to risk our attachment. And so that's why we do always respond. Um, they're never left alone. Some babies do get really upset. I want to be really honest about that. I don't want to paint this rosy, you know, dozy picture that, oh, they just fuss for 10 minutes and fall asleep and that's mm-hmm. it. No, some babies do cry. It's, it, a lot depends on their temperament. Um, some just naturally more intense um, with that. But then that brings me to thinking about stress and toxic stress and tolerable stress and all of these, these levels, right? So the risk with cry it out is that some babies may reach this toxic stress level. Um, and not all babies will, but we don't know if they will until it's done. So that's why that's, that's never my first, my first place to go is leave a baby alone to cry. Right. Um, but there's, I think it's Harvard that, that did a study and there's probably others out there that when a baby is crying, when they're, changing, right? They don't know necessarily what to expect or how to put themselves to sleep yet. What protects their brain is having a caregiver 
present, a loving caregiver, someone that they know that they're familiar with, mom, dad, grandparent um, with them that acts as a buffer for their brain. And while they are under some stress, it it protects them from going into toxic stress. Mm -hmm. There is some level of stress that needs to happen for growth to happen, right? Like if you're working out in a gym and you want to build big muscles, you're not going to get there by curling five pound weights. You're just not, you've got to put your body under a little bit of stress to grow. And so having the parent there offering support and being present with the child and being that calm, reassuring base that we, that, that is attachment theory, um, that that's how it's different. And, and that's how it works and how we protect the baby from, from going into distress mode. They're angry. They're not distressed. Mm. Oh, I really like that distinction that it's, you know, it is going to happen. They are going to cry. It's not always going to feel happy. And of course, as moms and parents, we, we don't want to hear our babies cry, but we also want to get them to sleep. So <laughs> I, I love that, you know, this is a way to give them that buffer, like you're saying, and, and really protect their brains and to be able to honor them, those their little humans, and also teach them something that's important. I love that analogy of them growing and getting stronger in, in that, um, with that kind of gentle guidance, instead of it being this, just like you're on your own to our like six month old. (laughs) Yes. 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 Yeah. So I know you already kind of mentioned this before that there really isn't a time that's kind of too late to do the gentle sleep coaching with your children, that it can go up to age six. Is there anything different. I know you said that you work primarily with younger kids, but I know if there are women listening who do have older kiddos, is there anything different that you do with the older kiddos? Or is it just that the older kiddos you can reason with a little bit more um, than younger kiddos? Yeah, that's it. Once they're, I would say three for the most part, there are some, like my daughter at two and a half, she was seems so much more mature to me than my son, who's two and a half. Mm-hmm. I'm like, she was making her bed and cleaning up her toys. And we were having these deep conversations. So, you know, it depends on your child that, you know, two and a half, maybe if they can understand, but usually by three is when you can bring them into the conversation, because whatever's been going on, if it's, if it's causing you some stress and exhaustion and frustration, chances are they're picking up on it. And they, mm-hmm. they know that something is going on and that you're not happy with how they're sleeping usually. So by bringing them into the conversation and letting them know ahead of time, like what the new expectation is, like making them aware of it calmly, kindly, firmly, like all of these things that, you know, most, most people in this, you know, gentle minded are going to be aware of. Right. Um, and then, sticking with it and being consistent because we know three-year-olds are famous for, you know, all the, the bedtime shenanigans and the curtain calls and the, <laughs> you know, why do elephants have ears and, you know, all these, these questions, right? So you have to calmly and firmly shut those things down. So there's, there's differences, right? Cause the struggle is, is sometimes different. They're in a bed, not a crib. The basic principle and philosophy, though, is the same. And that is, if it's not clear, it's we help you a lot in the beginning. And I didn't, I guess it hasn't been clear because we haven't talked about this. Um, We fade out over the course of time, usually about two weeks. So it's like, as they get better at doing it on their own, we can do less and less. Mm -hmm. And it's a delicate balance because sometimes you can get stuck. 
Um, and we just, we maybe switch out nursing to sleep to now I have to pat you to sleep. And I'm in here for 30 minutes, patting your butt in every two hours doing that. So we have to work with always doing a little bit less and, and moving forward so that you don't get stuck somewhere and you've just replaced one crutch with another. Um, so the philosophy is the same. We, we just have to do less and, and always be working on doing less. That is so interesting. And it, it makes so much sense that it is similar, but different because they are a little bit older. And I'm really glad that you mentioned too, that that's kind of the method that you use, that you do fade it out. And, and it is encouraging to hear that maybe if they do get stuck, it's just kind of identifying why they're getting stuck and just yes. moving forward that yes. it's not like this just, oh, it didn't work. Right. And then you're done. It's like, oh, okay, sometimes we get stuck. We have to figure out why. Yes. And then forward. And I mean, it's the same thing when I work with women on food. And like, we talk a lot about healing their relationship with food and getting to a healthier place. And sometimes it's like, they feel like they're just stuck and they're stagnant. And they're like, it's just not working for me. And I'm like, no, you're just, you're just stuck. We just need to choose a different path to move forward because this isn't working. And it's the same thing right. with our kiddos. And that's really yes. encouraging that it also doesn't like take months and months and months that we can start to slowly fade after a couple of weeks and yes. <laughs> that this yes. isn't something that's hopefully not going to take years. Um, right. <laughs> does it take longer if it has been a struggle for longer? You know, it's so, it's so interesting. So in when people purchase my course and work with me where they're in a private Facebook group. So that's everybody who's, you know, who's going through the process. Mm -hmm. And I, I hear there's, there's such a wide range of normal. There are some people who have a 15 month old that was waking up every hour, sleeping in bed with mom, nursing all night long, very intense. And parents were like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be terrible. And they're like, Oh my gosh, it's been you know six nights. She just fell asleep on her own, no tears and slept all night or woke up once and went right back to sleep. And everybody's shocked. And then sometimes you have, you know, an eight month old who was only waking up two times a night and it takes a little bit longer. So mm -hmm. it's so much of it depends on your baby. Like I always say, babies aren't robots. And there are generalizations and philosophies and sleep science and all of this, but so much is unique to your baby. So, um, generally, you know, people make pretty good progress within two weeks. Sometimes it takes a month. Sometimes it's three days. It, it really just depends. Yeah. Oh, that's encouraging though, that we are all different. Like, so are our babies and that it might take a little bit more time. And I love that you provide that support for moms too. Because I think this would be something that I, I remember with my three-year-old researching all of these, like how to get her back to sleep things. Cause we're like, she seems to be a quote unquote good sleeper, except she wasn't because she woke up multiple times <laughs> during the night. So she was not a good sleeper. She was just a good fall asleeper or I yes. would nurse her to sleep and she would sleep for a few hours and then wake up and then it would be hard. And I remember doing all of the research and going, okay, how do I do this? And just like you said, that kind of like run around, like back and forth, trying all the different things and eventually just caving and going, well, nothing's working. And so having that support and encouragement to be like, no, it, you just have to keep trying or you just need to try something new, but right. actually stick to that one thing instead of just trying six different new things every single night. Yes. So yes. I think that that's really huge and, and really helpful. So I bet that there are mamas out there who feel like, well, crying out just felt like 
the only option for their baby. There was no other way, even if it didn't feel good, that it just felt like that was the only option for their child. And they've, they're thinking about maybe trying another option for their second child, but they're a little hesitant. They felt like, no, my kids are just hard sleepers. This is the only way. Can you encourage them a little bit? Maybe that it is possible <laughs> maybe to try something different with your other kids, even if that's what you did before. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely can. My, both my kids were classic. Like I said, in the beginning, high needs, intense. And my second blew my daughter out of the water. Like I thought she was something else. He, he was like times 10. Oh my um, gosh we're going the wrong directions. We were, we were praying for an easygoing baby <laughs> and God just laughed and laughed. Um, so he is very, very strong willed. Um, and it was hard. It was hard even knowing everything, um, that, that I know and that I knew. So I understand those feelings of like, this is the only thing that's going to work, but I always tell, tell parents, like we can start with the most gentle and then we can like negotiate from there. I don't mean negotiate. Like you need my permission. I just mean, there are a couple, a couple families that come to mind. It's not a lot, a small handful over the years that have ended up with like a Ferber type approach. Mm -hmm. Um, that's never me pushing that's them. Um, and I, I give them some, you know, I want them to not feel guilty. I want there to be some grace there because two, if we start the most gentle and we're working on things and then we, we end up there, that's a whole lot different than just starting there Mm -hmm. because we are still fading out, right? Like if your baby was used to being nursed to sleep and rocked to sleep five times a night, and then all of a sudden they're a hundred percent on their own, that's huge. But if you go through like the gentle coaching process and you make some progress and like there's some consistency and you're doing less and they're, they're adjusting to the new expectation and now they know, okay, I'm, I'm all night in my crib now. I'm not going to mom. And they've, they've gotten that, gotten there with your help and support. Then you end up being like, okay, we've got to do some time checks here because I think my presence is, is causing you some, you know, frustration. P.S. I have another side, um, you know, training in, in the course about if your child is, uh, you know, overstimulated by your presence where you can still be in the room and, and do things differently. But if you end up there, it's still, I think a whole lot better, um, than just starting there. And if you have to end up there, you do, um, and you don't need to feel guilty about it because every baby is different. Um, and I, I strongly, strongly rely on two things, the baby's behavior and what it's telling us and mom's instinct together Mm -hmm. along with like what I teach. I always tell moms, like, take what I teach, but you got to view it through your instincts and your baby. You got to filter it because your baby is unique and different. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. So encouraging and also so much grace in that and going like, we're all, we're all different and we're all different families. And it's just about us doing our best and the best thing that we can for our babies. It's okay to try something new. It's also okay. If you end up a little different, at least you're trying something, at least you're taking a more gentle approach and you're just doing what you can. And there's a quote that I love, and I think it applies so much to this conversation. And I believe it's a Maya Angelou quote, and it's basically just know better, do better. So if we do what we know, 
And then when we know better, we do better. So when we learn something new, then we try something new. And if we only know what we know, it's okay that that's just, that's what we did. That's what we do. And then we can learn and we can try new things and we can just do what's best for, for our family. So I love that so much. Took me a little a second there to figure out what that <laughs> quote was. <laughs> but um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about your course. How is it laid out and how does it encourage the mom and the, the parent who is in this place of struggling with their baby or their toddler trying to get them to sleep? How How can it help them and how do you go about helping them? Yeah. So it's, it's broken up into different sections. It's all online, primarily um, videos and they're short there. I don't think there's any over 20 minutes and many are seven to 10 minutes because not every topic is going to apply to every family, every situation. If you've got a two and a half year old who is night weaned, you don't need to watch the night weaning training. So you could skip that one. Um, so like I said before, the first, the first section is all about setting you up for success. So it's the bedtime routine. Um, and you know, the environment and the schedule, like I talked about making sure the baby's not overtired, undertired, all of that. Um, and then it's the actual, the actual training method. And so, like I said, we talk about night weaning, um, and nighttime feeding, because not everybody is ready to night wean and they don't have to. I just talk about how um, how to do your night feeds um, so that we're, we're creating consistency and not confusion for the baby. Um, and then when you're ready to night wean, you've got that for you. Um, and then, like I said, the actual training method. Um, and then there's a, a special section that covers all sorts of like different types of situations, a baby in a bed, a toddler, um, the pacifier, all, you know, all sorts of extra little things. Um, and then there's a bonus section and a frequently asked questions. And then, like I said, you've got access to a private group on Facebook where there's a, a lot of other moms who are going through it, have already gone through it. And it is an incredible Facebook group. There's so much support there. So, I mean, it's just, it makes my heart like it's just, it's such a great group of like minded moms. Um, and then I'm in there too a couple times a day. I pop in and answer as many questions as I can. Yeah. And then there's, there's the option to add on a support call with me if you want, like, you know, 30 minutes to like, hey, we're, I'm struggling or I need support around this issue or I'm not sure what to do. Um, then, then we can get on a call and, and talk about it. And it's, it's $99 say that. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. That is so much value. Oh my goodness. And I love, I mean, I am someone who has my own coaching community. So I, I love the community, but I just, I love when women especially come together and support each other and can share our struggles with each other in whatever it is, because it makes us feel like we're not alone. Cause yes. we know that we are not the only parents out there who have struggled with sleep with our kids, but sometimes it can feel like that. Sometimes it can yeah. feel like all of our friends' kids are sleeping. So why is it mine? And yes. so I can imagine how helpful that is to have that resource. Can I ask a personal question that's yes. going to help Someone I'm sure will help someone else here on the podcast. And I'm going to admit something like to thousands of people that um, I probably don't want to, but I'm going to do it because I've got you here and I feel like I've, I've got the opportunity to ask you. So I have a three-year-old who still has a passy at night mm -hmm. and it has been very difficult. And we have honestly just caved because it's too much of a struggle. Do you have any tips that you could give me and maybe the mom listening who is <laughs> dealing with a sleep crutch like that? So this, this might surprise you. 
Um, unless there's like a medical reason, I say, who the heck cares? Um, really, truly, we put so much pressure. I mean, it makes me feel so much better. <laughs> I mean, seriously, nobody's going to care. She's not going to have it forever. And if it's providing some comfort for her and she can do it herself, mm-hmm. I mean, who cares? Yes. Yeah. In my opinion, um, I know that there's like, now if her teeth are rolling in crooked and it's a big, I mean, most kids are going to need braces at some point anyway, you know, like I (laughs) don't, that's a personal thing. But if it, if it is something like that, then we go back to the conversation where you're like, you know, this, this is what it is. And I would, I would say, and be prepared, um, that you're going to have to help her for Mm -hmm. at least a week. Because she's using that, like, that's what she's using to get to sleep. And so she's going to have to figure out another way. And so maybe we can pick out a new stuffed animal or, you know, something like that, that can help her. But I would say like, prepare her for it, have those conversations and like, Hey, on Mm -hmm. Friday, the passy's got to go bye-bye. And there's, there's people that talk about sending them to, to new babies. And so you package them all up. A lot depends on, on her, you know, personality and temperament. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, however you would choose to get rid of it, you're going to have to also provide some extra support. So I would say like, don't worry, mommy's going to sit in your room with you until you fall asleep, until mm-hmm. you get used to this new way. And, and, and you would just have to do that. And then now you kind of are, that calm, you know, that calm, reassuring base, like helping her. She's going to struggle yeah. a little bit trying to figure out, well, how do I fall asleep now if I can't suck on this? Um, mm-hmm. But then also who cares? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Both of those were so helpful <laughs> because I mean, you know, this last year has been, cause we are at the time of recording talking in January, 2021, this whole last year has been full of a ton of changes, both just the world at large being just a hot mess in 2020. And then in our own family, we've had a lot of changes. And so there's a lot going on. And right now it's like, there is definitely, I'm, I've really worked through so much of my own personal mom guilt in so many areas and just learning how to, and I mean, and just guilt in other areas too. And, and just learning how to be the best mom I can be for my kids and not compare myself. And, but this is one of those areas where it feels like I'm like, okay, she should be, she should be done with it by now, but going, you know what there, she's a healthy kid. She's a happy kid. This is like the one thing that, yeah, we'd prefer her to not have it now, but you know what, if we need it for this kind of, you know, transition time, these couple of years that are really crazy and different, maybe it's okay. And then when we're ready, when we're all ready, it's like, okay, we just need to recognize that she's just going to need a little bit more support and that it can be a conversation. Cause honestly, the only advice that I've heard, and I think we thought about it. The only advice I've heard is just to have the passy very come and just like take it away. Yeah. And when we told her, we tried to talk to her about it and we're like, the passy fairy is going to come and take your passy away. She gave us this face Aww. and it was like this most sad face. And she goes, not my passy. <sighs> and we were like, uh, well, maybe just at night. We're like, just yeah. at night. And now she doesn't have it during the day anymore because she did oh, have great. it several times during the day. And so now it's just at night and now we're like, okay, when are we ready? And I don't think either of us are ready yet. <laughs> so that's we're great. like, I'm it'll happen one day. That's, yeah. that's if, if she doesn't have it at day and it, uh, during the day and it's just for sleep, then even more who cares? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's like just 
one step at a time and eventually we'll be ready and we'll just guide her through it and just remember that it's and prepare ourselves and go, okay, she's going to need some extra help, but yes, you're right. She's not going to go to college with the passy. It's going to be okay. Yes. But yeah, no, that is really encouraging. I appreciate that. That was, that was not of the questions I sent you, but you mentioned (laughs) it and I was like, okay, this is my opportunity to ask. So so watch for that encouragement. (laughs) So I'm wondering if you have um, a final message for the mom who's listening, who might be in the thick of sleep struggles, whether she has a six-month-old or a six-year-old. Can you just give her some encourage or a final message, encouragement or just a final message that you really want her to hear? The biggest thing, my biggest message is you're not stuck. You don't have to stay stuck, rather. You don't have to stay stuck. It probably feels right now like you don't know what to, what to do. You're, you're not happy with how things are going, um, but there there are things you can do. Like there's there's ways that you can move forward. Just the, I can't tell you, I mean, if you're, if you're feeling stuck, you know what it's like, because uh, I've been there where you just, it's like depressive. Like you just like, it's just heavy because you don't know when the sun's going to shine again. It's just dark all the time and heavy. And you're like, when am I going to get myself back? At least, you know, part of it. Um, And it's just, it's the worst feeling. If I really think about it, I could start to cry because it's just the worst. And so I just want you to know that you're not, you're not stuck. There's help. There's hope. Um, Just hang in there. It'll get better soon. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Lydia. I I truly think that this is one of those areas I think so many moms just they struggle silently and it impacts their life in so many more areas than they probably even think it does because sleep yeah. is so important and when yes, as new moms especially, we know that we're going to miss out on some sleep, right. but if we can get to the place where we're only missing out on the amount that like we really need to, (laughs) then we can be better moms. And Mm -hmm. I think just the more that we can do to be better moms, then the more we can support our kids. And so I think the work you do is so, so important. So thank you so much for being on and for sharing. Um, Can you just kind of share with my listeners uh, how they can connect with you, how they can Mm -hmm. access your course and everything that you do? Yeah. So the place I have an Instagram, but I'm really not very active there. The The best place to get me is my Facebook group. I have, I have a free group for, for just everybody. Yeah. Um, and so I'll, I'll give you that link, but it, or you could search at gentle loving sleep. Um, mm-hmm. and also my website, just gentle loving sleep.com. Awesome. Oh my gosh. So good. So I will put those links in the show notes. I have three fun final questions that I love to ask my guests. Um, They are food related because I am a chef and a nutritionist and a foodie and I love talking about food. So if you are willing, I would love to ask you my final three questions. (laughs) So my first question is what is your favorite thing to cook? This is such a An interesting question. So, and I didn't know that you were a chef. I went to culinary school in a previous. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! I only worked in the industry for like this little bit of time because then I got pregnant, and (laughs) you know. Um, but I so it's like I have two different. I have like two a two part answer. (laughs) Nowadays, as a mom, my favorite thing to cook are you know are things that are very simple. (laughs) So. I love in the summertime to like make a nice, you know, marinade with citrus and like, you know, orange and lime and cilantro and garlic and quickly marinate it. 
and um and then grill it and roast a bunch of vegetables like that is mm. like I could just eat that up every single day in the summer um and then the second part is I love cooking for a big group of people like a Thanksgiving meal mm. because it takes me back and obviously I'm the only one doing it but like if you've worked in the restaurant business like and those ticket comes in. I was in a, I was in fine dining. So we had, you know, like everything has to go out at the same time and you've got all these yeah. different things and you're like making eye contact with the fish guy and this guy, you know, and you're trying to like time everything. And so yes. doing like a video like that, where I'm like coordinating like the turkey and the stuffing, and the green <laughs> and, you know, and like, oh, I love it. And so I really enjoy doing something like that. Not every day, obviously. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I had no idea that you were a chef too. And so this is so fun. I'm like listening going, yes, I love that. <laughs> I really only worked in the industry for about um, five, five years as a, as an actual chef. I taught cooking classes and I was a personal chef and I did catering. Oh, um, and I've continued to teach cooking classes, but I only did, um, I worked at a yacht club for a couple of years. Oh, and so I did cool. some fine dining. Um, for about five years, but nothing too crazy, but I can 100% imagine <laughs> like that same situation you're talking about. And I'm going, yes, I love that. I love whenever I have the opportunity to do that. We've hosted a Easter at our house for the last couple of years. And then we did Christmas this year because it was just us and our parents because right. we're much smaller Christmas this year. Um, yeah. But I, I totally, I live for that too. And I remember my mom being like, are you okay doing everything? And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, this is fun for me. So yes. <laughs> I love that so much. And that also sounds like an ideal summer meal for me. So I will be coming over for dinner next summer. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Okay. So then you are a busy mom yourself and I'm sure it's awesome whenever you get someone else to cook for you or you are able to go out to eat. So what is your favorite thing to order or have someone else cook for you? Nobody cooks for me. My husband can't do anything. Um, <laughs> he, um, he can, he, and he doesn't really even have a desire to try, but um, one of our favorite things really over like this COVID time, we would order takeout like once a week or every other week from this, I think it's like a Lebanese place mm -hmm. um, locally. And they do these like family pl platters and they had like, um, chicken shawarma and rice and peppers and onions and like the best like fresh hummus and pita bread and mm. that was just like and the and the kids ate it which was like it makes it enjoyable <laughs> yes. like everybody can enjoy it so um that's really good I like I really enjoyed that oh my gosh I love that my yes I love pizza too. That those both sound so delicious. My great grandmother is uh, was Syrian, and so oh. I love that Middle Eastern type oh, food. Yes. And yeah, and it's oh, it's always the best too when you're like, I love this, and my kids also love this. That's just that's yes. the best meal because it's a peaceful oh. meal, right? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, I love it. So this is the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. So we love to encourage moms to find balance in every area of their lives. And I love to ask the question, what does your beautiful balance mean to you? This is, I'm always working on this. And I've learned recently, like I used to think balance meant you had 50, you know, you have 15 plates in the air, right? Like all these different things and you've got to balance them all. And then I learned that's actually not what it is. <laughs> it's the, you know, the, the appropriate attention on the appropriate thing at the appropriate time. And so it shifts. And so, you know, I'm, I homeschool my daughter. I have a business. 
I run a household. I have a two and a half year old, the wild man. You know, there's so many different, we're moving. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff in the air. And, and so I guess it's, it's knowing that I'm not everything to everyone at the same time and being okay with that and being like, Hey, this is work time. Then it's school time. Then it's this time. And, and knowing that, that it's okay to not do everything and be everything to everyone all the time. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm nodding along with you and going, <laughs> there is definitely a mom out there. Several moms who needed that encouragement oh, yes. today. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so good. Oh, Lydia, thank you so much. This was such an awesome conversation. I know that I'm, I'm past those baby sleep stages, but this was helpful to me, even knowing that I can pass some of these things and just your, your resources to moms. I know who do have little ones who are struggling with this. And I know that so many moms listening are going to benefit from this. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with me and talk with me and answer my question too. And just for the work that you do. Hey friends, Chris here again. I hope you loved my interview today with Lydia McNair. I wanted to mention that right after our interview, Lydia let me know that she created a special resource just for Healthy Balanced Mama podcast listeners with the first steps you need in order to set yourself up for success for the gentle loving sleep method. So I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes. I hope you enjoy and I hope you enjoyed today's interview. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. If you loved it, would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on Instagram and tag me in it? It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me. And as a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are meant for education and inspiration only and are not to be taken as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with a trusted practitioner before making any changes. Have a beautiful day, friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.